Asim Datar is general manager at Microsoft Cloud, leading one of the fastest growing businesses there. An engineer at heart, he has held several roles across product development, management and operations functions. He is a Seattle 40 under 40 honoree and serves as an advisor to several early stage startups and VC funds because what inspires him the most is working with next generation entrepreneurs to bring breakthrough tech to life. An avid cricketer and keen follower of sports, Asim says he was lucky when he got into Microsoft even before he began his masters. Asim has made several shifts internally at Microsoft and he uses three vectors to evaluate these job opportunities when they come along. In this conversation, he speaks about his decision making mental models, what makes someone a successful generalist, the role of your network in helping you grow, what he doesn't want his team doing in meetings, and lessons from cricket and team sports. We hope you enjoy this conversation. This is the CTQ Smartcast, where we have conversations about up-leveling, deliberate practice, and getting future relevant. Hi, Asim. Welcome to the CTQ Smartcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Great. Uh, so, Asim, uh, we want to talk about your journey from being an engineering student all the way uh, into getting into Microsoft. So, I I heard a rumor about a very interesting story about your you know how you got into microsoft so why don't you tell me that yeah so you know i mean i i like to say right place right time and and luck sort of had a huge role to play uh, i'll i'll give you my story in a nutshell so i came here to do my masters in the university of washington in seattle and like most other grad students you know you're when you come here you're you're instantly poor right because your exchange rate hits you and i didn't have any assistantship when i when i came here uh and i was geared up to sort of you know take myself to the first semester but i came here looking for a grad assistantship or a tuition waiver or something of that sort so i landed 10 days early and i and i went the very first day i went to my college campus i was supposed to meet my advisor and i was a little early and so i walked into this big you know ballroom kind of thing where some event was going on little did i know that there was a career fair hmm. so i walked into the career fair i saw a booth that said microsoft you know back in the day we used to have a big orange logo a black logo with an orange background right. so i so i went there and i started talking to this guy from microsoft and you know i told him about what i do and my my vocational background learning in india and he was very intrigued by the by the mini project work i had done in my final year and then he said well would you like to apply for a for a job and i'm like wait but i don't even know if i can work like you know you show up on a visa that's a student visa and beyond that you don't know it and so i told him look i don't know if i'm permitted to so you know he was he was very kind and he said look so in that case how about how about applying for an internship because we hire a lot of interns and i said well i'm not so sure but sure why not like and so he asked me for this thing called as my resume and you know i mean i i came to the university the very first day i didn't have credentials i didn't have access no id card nothing the school was not open and at the scheduled time i went to meet my my advisor uh you know use his name was dr radha puvendran very very nice guy I'm, i'm in touch with him even now occasionally we exchange email and i spent the first 15 minutes introducing myself and he said well i'll see you when school starts and i said dr puvendran can i ask for a favor and he said what i said can i get a print out and he said what do you want to print so i said well i want to print my resume there's this thing called yahoo briefcase back in the day that i have a resume on can i print and he said what already looking for a job i said no 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 this thing happened i went to the career fair and at that time you you had to pay like 25 cents to get a print out right and 
and I didn't even have cash because I was not given up for it. So he was kind enough. He printed me a copy. I went, gave it to the gentleman at Microsoft, and and within a week's time, they they called me onto campus, the Microsoft campus, for an interview. Mm-hmm. I got into a cab and I showed up at the recruiting building, and I went and I sat there, and this this girl next to me looked at me funnily and said why are you so overdressed? And I'm like, what are you talking about? So I was wearing a tie and a formal shirt and pants and, and everybody was in jeans and t-shirt. And, and again, so, so the interview happened, they offered me an internship and that was the beginning of my Microsoft's journey. So literally, I think before my courses started, I, I kind of had an internship in hand and, and while I was figuring all my you know, ID cards, login, status, etc. at the same point of time, I was trying to answer this question of, can I even work in the summer? So, so that's how, you know, that's why I call it a very lucky spot to be in. Yeah, it speaks volumes about uh, talent spotting at Microsoft, uh, I, I would say, because it's almost, I mean, to use a cricketing analogy, I know you're fond of your cricket. It's, it's almost like, you know, John Wright spotting just breathe Bumrah at a night and saying, hey, you should be, you know, with Mumbai Indians or something like that. So, <laughs> pretty... Yeah, um... I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know if Microsoft <laughs> would say that. Uh, I mean, I, I've been here 17 years, so, so maybe they'll say something to the extent of, yeah, I think I think you uh, we would rely on you to take that single and get off strike. That's what you want me to do. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. So, tell me what happened uh, to your journey uh, after that, right? You became an intern and, you know, clearly you've been there for a long time uh, what sounds like a long time from yahoo briefcase to when yahoo briefcase doesn't exist uh, anymore in that fashion uh, and in some sense you are doing things around cloud that started from an early promise of those uh, years ago uh, with the cloud so tell me can you describe what else has happened to you uh, from then yeah to- i mean i think i i think a lot has changed like you mentioned and a lot has not changed to a certain extent so i so i interned there as a, as a dev i worked on the setup team and you know the, the internship lasts through the summer, and as soon as I finish summer, uh, you know Microsoft has this thing about they they interview every intern and and they kind of want you to come back full time, right. and I was one of the lucky ones to sort of have two choices to pick either the Windows team or the or the Xbox team. And Xbox was very new, and you know I was not a gamer, and so I landed up declining that. And people on my team just couldn't believe it. They're like, "What you did? You did take the Xbox offer?" I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, I'm not a gamer, so." Uh, but you know, I mean, I I met I met some very very uh, you know interesting, deep, you know, fun and very knowledgeable people back then. You know, who've been my mentors, my managers through the years. Uh, so they wanted me to come back right away. So they're like, look, you should come back next month as full time and join us because we need to ship this product and we need all hands on deck. And so my boss at the time uh, was like, okay, uh, so can you quit? I'm like, well, I, I'm I have like five subjects to go. Or seven, I think, at that time. And he's like, yeah, but uh, we need you. And I was like, Nathan, man, like, I'm this close. Like, I don't even know if I can, you know, you need a certain amount of credits to get a baccalaureate, uh, to get a grad degree, to then get your work visa. So I'm like, Nathan, I I don't know if you can apply for a work visa if I don't finish it. And he's like, well, in that case, we have no choice. Okay, I'll give you a semester. (laughs) And so what typically takes two semesters, I had to finish in one to come back in time to to get going and so there was no no concept of like a break in between or anything of that sort and these were also days where visas were very hard to come by right. so so again you know lucked out joined microsoft uh, did the did the technical dev role then sort of ran a pm team mm. uh, then moved over to you know doing product planning and product management mm. uh, and one thing that always interested me is going from a function that i was in to a function that almost seemed like a sister function but i knew very little about 
So when you're a software developer, I used to work with a, with a bunch of PMs and I'm like, wow, that sounds great. Like you're a program manager, what do you do? And so getting, getting talking to the PM team, you know, I, I then sort of took on a PM role as the next step. Uh, from PM that I used to look at these marketing people and like, wow, you guys must have a really cool job. Like sounds really good. What, what is that? So then jumped over to doing marketing, moved over to the office team, you know, incubated the office web services business, you know, uh, change, change the dynamic on how services are thought of in the world now. And then I took on this detour to, to go to sales. Again, similar, similar uh, hypothesis, similar model. I knew very little about it. An old boss went there and he's like, hey, you want to do sales? I'm like, sure, sign me up. So did that. And then came to the world of cloud when, uh, when you know, just round about the time Satya took CEO and there was some reshuffling. And so I've been with cloud ever since. So I think the common thread there has been like taking a role that I know very little about mm-hmm. and trying to go learn a net new different skill. So that's, that's kept me afloat and interested and you know, sort of tied to Microsoft because it almost feels like a net new company, different job, different role. Right. So uh, I want to go in uh, into this attitude of yours a little bit deeper. Did you always have this, uh, this, uh, uh, you know, aptitude towards exploring things on the periphery and using that to catapult yourself to a new role? Or is that something that uh, you grew into because also the environment that you found yourself? I think it's more of the latter. Look, I mean, I'd be lying if I said that I designed it that way. Mm. I think, I think when you're in your twenties, like, the next interesting thing that comes across, you tend to think of it and you're like, oh, great, you know, I'll, I'll do it, I'll learn. Uh, I think that learning thing was always with me where mm. I have that that penchant, I would say, for the unknown a little bit. Uh, but I but I certainly can't say that, you know, I, I designed it this way or I always thought about it and I thought deeply. And mm. I mean, if I talk to, uh, talk to anybody graduating today, they think 10x more than I did when I was that age. And, and that's just the nature of like being exposed right. to new models, new thinking, a lot of, you know, of course the internet is a huge role to play. Uh, you know, mentors have a huge role to play. And, and I would say that I was lucky to have great mentors and people who could guide me. Uh, but at the same point of time, uh, there was that element of like, I didn't want to do the same thing again. Mm. And, and one part of it was also, you know, if I did spend time in windows, I was actually going to compete with, uh, some other folks who have spent 20 years there on compilers. Right. And, and then I'm picking uh, my career and saying, look, I wanted to be a compiler guy, which, mm-hmm. which was fine. And, and there's nothing wrong in, in having a depth approach, but I always preferred breadth over depth. And, and that has sort of been my, my thing since the get-go. Right. So uh, let's take a you know, more concrete way of looking at this. So let's say you, had, you made that shift from, say, being an engineer to getting into sales and product management, those kinds of things. And let's say you do that the same in a few years time to something else. What would you do next? Would you kind of go and talk to people? Would you start reading a bunch of books? Uh, you know, what is the components of making that successful shift from say what you're doing today to something that you didn't know you could do? Yeah, I'll, I'll share uh, a model that I think I've learned from, you know, of course, people I have deep respect for in the industry. And I think one of my mentors mentioned this to me. Uh, so in any job or opportunity you take or evaluate, you, you look at it from three vectors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is the people you work with. Right. The second is the skills you have or are required for the job. And the third is the domain or the space that you are going to take the job in. And at any, any given point of time, ideally, you want to keep two of these things constant. Mm-hmm. Right? Either you know the people and the skill mm-hmm. and you are entering a new domain or you enter new or, or you enter a, or you pick up new skills 
but your domain and people are constant mm-hmm. uh, and and again this comes down to the risk managing appetite mm-hmm. for for that jump right mm-hmm. uh, when i did the sales role i i followed somebody who you know was already there so i had somewhat of the people thing constant mm-hmm. and you know i knew the business it was a different skill mm-hmm. uh, when i took the the azure role uh, it was a little bit of the the domain was new the people were new and the skill set was also new because now i was going into more of a ceo type of function but but the 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 way i thought about managing that change is the skill set although in its entirety what new mm-hmm. the things that i had done leading up to that uh, were all required for for me to be successful in the job so i think i could rely on my skill set yet changing two things mm-hmm. and and that's kind of a simplistic model of thinking about any job change in my opinion now mm-hmm. not to say that there aren't other models okay. but this is kind of what simply resonates in my brain right uh, the other thing i wa- i realized is that uh, you could have easily have been this specialist like you mentioned the depth versus the breadth conversation a lot of people these days uh, you know because of the nature of change around us there are so and also nature of opportunities uh, unfolding in front of us uh, they need to be- make that shift from being a specialist to a, a sort of a generalist so uh, what do you you know how do you compare these two because we need both kinds of people in an organization you need some pe- some people who li- like that depth first approach uh, one is uh, what makes uh, someone a successful generalist uh, and uh, what is it that you you know a specialist can learn from a generalist because some people listening to you today uh, have been doing one thing steadfastly for the last 20 years but maybe they've hit a ceiling or they want to pursue other things but they are not comfortable with the idea of of uh, that exploratory breath so uh, do you also have a you know recipe for how do you test the waters before you uh, get there so two things one is um, what makes a successful generalist and wh- how do you kind of uh, test the waters before you make yeah it? yeah you know I'll, i'll answer the second one first like what makes the like what how do you manage that that right. risk let's just call it risk right or how do you manage that or how do you test the waters right i i tend to think of decisions as uh, is it a two way door or a one way door hmm. right and and the simplest way to think of it is uh, let's assume that you're trying to enter you know and check out you know rooms in a castle hmm. unless you go into the room you really don't know whether what's in it hmm. and uh, and there in comes the concept of a two way door right like you open it you go there you spend some time you check out the room and you come back there is there is a way to come back and uh, i think the good thing about specialists is that they can rely on their core skill to always come back to if it doesn't work out for them right uh, but i what i would say is you need to give it a significant amount of time to stay in that room so you know maybe give it a year 18 months whatever you feel is right until until you feel that yeah it's not working out and and i think only you can be the judge of that mm. uh whereas the concept of a one way door is a little bit more i would say riskier because there are some decisions that are irrevocable mm-hmm. at times and those could be things like you know changing geographies correct or you know completely like going from let's say the tech world to healthcare and i mean some of these are harder to make the return so just evaluating with an open mindset on are you making a revocable or an irrevocable decision mm-hmm. is a good way to think about am i just testing the waters and can i come back or am i swimming or swimming too far from the shore uh as far as what makes a successful generalist i actually think that the 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 biggest thing i would say there is you have to be able to deal with ambiguity very well 
you know, generalists typically just get problems thrown at them and, mm-hmm. and you're trying to, what we call at Microsoft, growth hack your way out of it, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to try something, you're going to fail, you're going to fail again, you're going to fail again, you're going to go one step forward and five back, uh, and then you're going to suddenly go seven steps forward, right? You've got to be able to deal with that ambiguity and manage that anxiety, to be honest, that some people have. Uh, if that's something that makes you super anxious and you feel that you're out of control and you're falling in a spiral, uh, maybe that's something that you want to rethink whether whether you are meant to be a generalist or not. The other thing that I will say is, uh, and, I, and I think a lot of people can can probably uh, resonate with the word called jugad, right? There is mm-hmm. a, yeah. you've got to be able to have that jugad mindset. I, I think growing, growing up in Bombay, a lot of us had that. Uh, and, and I was lucky enough to sort of bring that to bear. I mean, Basically, you got to pick up yourself when you have a setback and you're like, oh shit, okay, now what? Like, I think the now what is more about like, you got to fall forward rather than fall backwards. So, so that to me, I think is a biggest skill set or a mindset I would say that generalists should have. And, and I think the only other thing I would say is nine times out of 10, you have to rely on standing on the shoulders of giants to get that victory and leaning on people who are advisors, who are experts in their field, because generalists don't know it all. And they certainly, you know, don't have the, I would say the, the depth expertise that a depth expert has, but relying on others to extract the information, to connect the two points, uh, to sort of see patterns is the other thing that I would say is, is probably another important skill. Right. Uh, Asim, you may have heard of the idea of a board of directors or individuals, right? Uh, have you over the years assembled a group of people that you know, play different roles in your uh, life and career? Yo, I mean, I, I, I think you stole the words out of my mouth. Like that's how exactly I would have described, mm-hmm. you know, my mentor base. They're, they're kind of my board of directors, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I get different perspectives. I get uh, support. I get negativity, and mm-hmm. which is good, healthy negativity. I get caution. Uh, I get pushed. I get mm-hmm. questioned. I get, uh, you know, conflicting opinions. And I think the one thing that is consistent with the people that I talk to is they never give you the answer, which I think is a core skill to have in a board, right? Mm-hmm. You want the board to pose questions and then you're sort of in the driver's seat as the product trying to figure out like, which way do you want to go? What, how would you answer that question? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think any of my mentors has ever said, go take this or go do that or go, go do Y or go do Z or don't do X and don't do Y. Uh, I think the biggest question they've posed to me is, okay, great. I understand what you're saying. Tell me the why, what, and how. And Asim, how would you describe it? And so I think that's a that's a core thing that any mentor kind of plays the role of coach, right? Mm. And and you'll often hear in the cricketing world, like people talk about, like you know, I want to I want a coach who's mm. who's guiding me. I don't want a coach who's fixing my my elbow height because Correct. my I mean, you you try to tell Virendra Sehwag to correct his stance, he's going to say that's not going right. to work for me, right? Or you try to tell Rahul Dravid to play a lofted shot and he's going to say, that's not my strength. I'd rather keep it on the ground. Yeah, I mean, in fact, uh, they are they are literally sound, I mean, they're kind of sounding boards. Right? Their job is to make you listen to yourself uh, from a different angle. Uh, that's how I sometimes uh, see it. Uh, so, uh, Asim, uh, you know, as one grows in their careers, uh, the dif- big difference between being a fresher or an intern is moving from execution to take the, taking these high-value decision that is what you ultimately get uh, paid for in a sense so uh, you mentioned a couple of things around uh, decision making uh, do you have any other principles or mental models around uh, how you make decisions that have served you well you know i'm i'm generally big on trying to model everything and and often it it doesn't 
it's not that there's a there's a black there's a black and white answer in fact mm. my wife will tell you that i'm more gray than any person she sees in the world and and i think whenever she asks me a question i think she says don't say depends because it doesn't <laughs> depend i want an answer and i'll come back and say no no i think context matters it always depends and so right. so she'll tell you that i'm a very depends kind of person but mm. but i think in my defense uh, you can at least have some sort of uh, questions that you might want to ask yourself to get all the data out in front and and really ask yourself like what is that model to me the simplest one has been the 10 10 10 model where you know any decision i take or want to take uh, however ambiguous situations there are i i tend to rely on data as a input a lot of people rely on data as the sole input i look at it as one signal there's many others uh, but ultimately it comes down to like you know how do i feel like if i make this decision in favor let's say how will i feel in in 10 days Mm-hmm. how will i feel in 10 months and how will i feel in 10 years about that decision and i think if the answer to those three things is a resounding you know affirmation of that decision then i think it's an easier one to make but if i have doubt and i'm like look i can let's say i'm a, let's say i'm i'm dissatisfied with somebody on my team and i and i basically just go and say hey that's really bad like you did it the wrong way i might feel great because i've given them like very harsh feedback but in 10 months i'll be like yeah i don't think i should have done that mm-hmm. and and in 10 years i certainly will feel feel about it differently i'm like yeah it didn't even matter mm-hmm. and so i think if you if you put that frame of reference your your outcomes start to be a little bit more consistent mm-hmm. and your outcomes start to be a little bit more uh i would say uh uh something that you can conform to in the longer run mm-hmm. fascinating i think uh, you know a lot of us who are trained as engineers uh we are not necessarily trained to recognize these emotions right or the volatility of a lot of these uh, emotions and the fact that they kind of even out over time so um, again was this uh, you know this this vocabulary of emotions how important is it for managers for leaders to recognize uh, that this there is this emotional landscape that you're always dealing with when you're working with humans it's not all cut and dry not, not and you need to have a emotional model of the world as well yeah I, i mean i think some of it has to have a no regrets kind of move right like you know i mean i i i do remember a time when you know we had our first daughter and mm. uh, i have two seven and three mm. and and one of the one of the entities that i was looking to join wanted me to join right away and mm. and i was like no i can't do that i i want at least like you know months time off i want to figure out childcare etc and and this was a very you know up and coming you know entity and you know, it would have done wonders for me uh and i decided no i think principally it didn't make sense because you know it was it was a first child and i wanted to spend time i wanted to be here and i didn't want to miss out on those moments however it's small or big it might be i mean it was it was a matter of 30 days mm. and so i decided to pass on the opportunity because because philosophically it sort of didn't align with the principles mm. and you know it would have changed the course of where i would have been what could have done what could have happened but to me i think it's still a no regrets move like i don't regret it one day mm. i would still make the same decision again and and purely because if i put it put it in the context of fullness of time mm. like 50 years down the line or 20 40 years down the line like i would still have regretted like chasing the opportunity over spending a month where my heart was and and that's what i call is no regrets move right that to me is, is still a no regrets move even after mm. like you know 7 years or 9 years right i can't detect any trace of regret in your voice while you're regret, recounting that anecdote uh, so uh, you know do you uh, are you the reflective kind of uh, person wherein you know you make time for reflection very systematically you say i'm going to schedule some time for it 
uh, or are you or do you just let it happen i mean tell me about that yeah i i wouldn't say that i'm the kind of person who will sit and have like a scheduled thinking time or whatever i mean i'm often guilty of not wanting to do too many things in life in general uh, you know i try to i try to keep it simple uh driving times are mostly thinking times uh i i hope it doesn't come across as deadly where my my mind is half asleep on the wheel but you know times when i when i step out to go get my coffee or you know my morning routine is, is has to have like some amount of coffee and you know funny story i used to live right across from my building at microsoft but i never walked because i always drove to get my coffee and come back <laughs> but you know i i think those mini breaks are are what energize me like i i think those are thinking times uh i don't think i i i i hope i don't complicate things too much in my head try to keep it simple uh but then again i think i think i feel that the more data you add the more cloudy you get in your judgment mm-hmm. so so keeping your your principles and your priority list updated mm-hmm. at least in your head um, mm-hmm. i think i think it served me decently uh, are there any other principles that you would like to uh, you know call out as being very important to you uh you know i mean i i do have you know some that that i occasionally revisit uh what i would say is i i think in general you know transparency you know mm-hmm. sort of high integrity like i mean the usual and, and a lot of us really? share those principles uh you know those are those are generally top of mind for me mm-hmm. uh i try to not run towards things uh faster and meaning that i don't want to be in a race mm-hmm. i i and i think this is something that that uh you know growing up playing in a on a sports team teaches you right like you're you're sort of competing with wanting to be the best version of your own self you're not mm-hmm. competing with the world you're not competing with uh you know somebody on grades or gps scores or you know how fast have you been promoted or what are the things that you do because i think everyone's journey is different Correct. and i think the quicker you can recognize as the better at peace you will be uh that that's one principle that i follow i'm like look i i don't want to compare myself to anybody because honestly there's no comparison for every for every you know vice president that you meet there is a president and for every president you meet there's a ceo or a cto and for every ceo and a cto you meet a billionaire correct so i think i think there's no sense of like trying to compare apples and oranges because everyone's journey is different right uh, since you mentioned your know, uh, things like uh, these important values uh, once you rise up the uh, the so called corporate ladder you go into more rarefied kinds of zones and you know there is a danger that uh, it's it's hard to keep ta- you know get real feedback the feedback that is uh, not so pleasant gray uh, how have you taught yourself to you know get that that part of the radar going in, as you kind of grown uh, i want to make sure i understand your question uh, is it more along the lines of like how do you extract information from the feedback or what what do you treat as signal versus noise yes Yeah see it's it's a tough one right and mm-hmm. and I don't think that I've made uh, a very clear or or I've gotten a very clear understanding of how to do that I think mm-hmm. I think we, the key there is to recognize patterns right mm-hmm. like if you're seeing consistent patterns on you know people are hesitant to react with you or I I think I'll give you a simple example right as you sort of grow in your career like when you ask for a meeting with your team mm-hmm. uh there's a lot of production that goes into it mm. right and 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 while it is sometimes necessary to sort of have the level of depth and detail and preparedness mm. i sometimes feel that 
I don't want my team to do that, right? I I would rather have my team just have an open dialogue and saying, hey, here's a challenge. Like I don't want you spending time in preparing for it or in you know rehearsing for it or spending countless hours preparing for an executive. It kind of doesn't make sense. And and then I think you've got to be very very upfront and say, look, I don't want to create new work. I I I'd rather have a discussion. Like and and so I think. if you're trying to get some of these patterns out and and address those head on that's probably something that 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 you might want to consider now mm-hmm. i've i've also been guilty of not sort of start seeing these patterns that that quickly and i think that's something that that i constantly am working on is saying okay what is the pattern that i'm seeing like is there a pattern even and you know in the last one year or so since you know so much has been in flux people have also been you know not you don't run into people in person as much uh, i'm sure i'm sure you would have liked to uh, especially with people who are new or new or to your organization right who probably not seen you in flesh and blood uh, what has changed in the last one and a half years in terms of how you kind of made that effort to keep those channels open that uh, you know keep that level of intelligence trickling through to you yeah yeah i mean look i i sort of err on the side of less is more here mm-hmm. uh, purely because i think there's a lot of realization at least at least in the in the working set of folks that they already have a lot of zoom meetings the teams meetings online engagements uh, there's fatigue that's crept in uh, you know people are managing family and work and young kids and you know older parents and you know home activities and you know kids schooling mm-hmm. and it's just a lot more uh, systemic tax on people more than anything else So you know, I try to have these mini touch points, of course, but but again, these are like very quick flybys, mm-hmm. and and mostly these are virtual. They have to be virtual. We are we're not sort of violating any social distancing norms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I also rely on you know my team and my management chain mm-hmm. to then sort of go down to their teams and follow the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to create a lot more space actually for people to people to have maybe empty slots where they can get the work done where they can tend to you know things at home as well because this is the new reality of our life i mean even even at home like we struggled with two young kids for the first 3 months like my wife and me were literally taking turns on who was watching the younger one while the other person was on call and one of us both of us couldn't be on the call at the same time so so i think this is a reality of most and i think this recognition of that fact i try to err on the side of less is more mm-hmm. and uh you know i mean it works in some cases and in some cases it backfires because information is not being shared that mm-hmm. easily so so it's a push and a pull again and again i i don't think i've i've gotten a model there as yet but but hopefully i think when when people start getting back to work and hybrid work environment becomes real and operational some of these going pains will go away right uh, so asim i i want to kind of move away from the world of uh, management and the office for a brief while and you know take you to a field literally a field that you are very you know you you passionate about so i know you are very fond of uh, cricket so uh, what what tell me about your cricketing uh, st- story uh, what start with telling me what what's your preferred role on the cricketing field i i mean i i like to say that uh, you know i was i was a star player uh, but but for uh, kiran building right like most of like most of uh, you know people in bombay are like there there's somebody in that building who's really right. good right you know i mean my my journey like most people i'm joking my, my journey like most people started with playing cricket in the building with my mm-hmm. friends and you know after school every day and you know it was it was just a fun fun time i wish i could go back and play a game again with okay. my friends and Uh, you know that's how it started, and then I moved 
to Pune for my uh, for my junior college and my engineering. It just continued. I played for the college. I played for the engineering, you know, college as well. We played a lot of interstate tournaments, you know, somewhere in the middle. Uh, you know, again, gully cricket continued. Then when I moved to Seattle, I was I was very excited to find the Microsoft cricket team. I played mm-hmm. for the Microsoft cricket team uh, until about like two years back. And then, you know, as, as, uh, as sort of kids started to uh, get older and they, they need a little bit more time and, and I couldn't justify traveling for work and playing on the weekends. So, you know, cricket, unfortunately, took a backseat, uh, you know, but I'm hoping that, you know, this year, hopefully I can get to play a little bit more. So do you still follow international cricket quite closely? Yeah, I mean, whenever I get a chance, like I, I, was, I was following the Australia series ball by ball. Right. Uh, the IPL, not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know the Australia series timing worked out really well, and, mm-hmm. and it was great to see. And you know, honestly, I I always thought like, what is cricket going to be after Sachin? Like, you know, who's going to follow it? But you know, all these guys like Virat, like you know, even Rishabh Pant, like exciting mm-hmm. cricketers, and and so much more athletic, like so much more sports person like uh, I would say. And so it's it's always fun to watch it right now. Correct. And uh, I mean, are you one of those uh, people who constantly? Is quoting cricket stories and you know taking lessons from cricket, or are are you you just compartmentalize the two? Uh, I don't know if I draw a whole lot of parallel, but but I think you know playing a team sport definitely influences you, right? It, it influences how you think about uh, scenarios, how you think about teams, how you manage teams, how you are a part of a team, Correct. and and that certainly had an had an effect on me. I don't think I quote it as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only time I get to talk about cricket was when I traveled to Australia for customer meeting with the broken foot. And, <laughs> and you know, in Australia, of course, everybody knows cricket. And so right. they asked me what happened. And I said, Yorker. And everybody got it, right? <laughs> in America, you tell them a Yorker. And they're like, I don't even know what that means. I thought cricket is a non-contact sport. Like, what happened to you? Why is your foot broken? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, and, uh, you know, you mentioned Sachin, but uh, is, is Sachin your number one uh, cricketer? Or uh, have there been other people like you really enjoyed watching you know i i i enjoyed watching sachin in person i mean meaning that i've i've gone and seen a lot of test matches live right. like five days right in mm-hmm. bombay and then i've sat ball by ball i've seen you know vinod kamu score is double hundred and mm-hmm. sachin scored in a massive hundred and right. i mean those were definitely my my uh, cricketers that i looked up to mm-hmm. or at least admired growing up uh, but i think in in hindsight uh, now I think my allegiances have changed a little bit towards Rahul Dravid. I think, okay. I think uh, you know the tenacity, the grit, and and frankly, I think in, even in the even in the retirement stage, like what mm-hmm. he's been able to do with with the young cricketers, like that's just immense respect. I mean, I think I think it takes a certain amount of individual to say, look, I'm going to go focus on the youth mm-hmm. and and create the the supply as you might mm-hmm. for Indian cricket and transform it. Like it takes a whole lot, and and I think. I, I think he's probably my my favorite of the lot. Yeah, I think we briefly spoke about these new crop of cricketers, right? And it's not it's not uh, it's it's unlike the talent pipeline that was there earlier. Not it seems to be a lot more systemic. Uh, and there are people like uh, Dravid. Uh, I think uh, you know you're contributing a lot to that. Um, so uh, I actually wanted to draw a parallel between that and uh, or staying relevant through these other means, right? advisories, mentoring. Uh, I know that you uh, advise a lot of tech startups and you're very kind of very keen on the next generation of technology uh, as well. So 
uh, when you wear that hat, what is different? What are you bringing to the table, in your opinion? So I think I've, uh, you know, I've I've learned that I've been I've I've been lucky enough to be a part of three big businesses, right? Mm -hmm. Like I mean, Windows was always a flagship business for Microsoft, and I came and I learned the business when it was already well established. Like there was ninety plus percent share in market, and Correct. and so I learned. Uh, a whole lot you know on on how does a well established business works mm. i then worked on the incubation for office online mm. which was basically revamping the entire business model of of how office was sold okay. and again office had huge amount of share but we but we drove mid shift from licensed software to to the web services version mm. so i was lucky enough to see the transformation of that business and lead through some of it and azure i joined when we were a uh, 300 people team growing to you know thousands right and and our pnl went from millions to billions mm -hmm. and 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 that business was just like a startup like which is grown 10x and and like you know fire under the belly right and so so i think i've i've had I've, i was lucky enough to have been a part of these three big events or three big businesses and and it taught me something as an operator right it taught, taught me about how to grow how to scale and and in sort of working with the startups, that's one thing that I'd like to sort of bring to bear, which is like help them scale, because that because that's what they're looking for, right? I mean, they're not looking for, uh, you know, talking to me as as their product person or build new product or you know write code or anything of that sort. They're incredibly smart people. Mm -hmm. But I think when you think about scale and what levers do you pull, like that's I think something that that I think I could contribute back. And and selfishly, I think I can learn something because the next generation of entrepreneurs. Are kind of like the Rishabh Pans of the world, right? Mm -hmm. No fear, you're gonna go do it because you have immense, immense talent and passion and energy, and and it's almost like you can learn something from them, which is which is entirely different. Like mm -hmm. if I draw the parallel, uh, there's there's so much sportsman-like capability and athletic ability mm -hmm. that these youngsters are bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you draw the parallel in the startup world, I want to learn that from them. Like mm -hmm. how do they they approach a problem with a with a no regrets, no fear mentality which some of us probably did not so mm -hmm. so selfishly i i get to sort of reverse mentor myself right mm -hmm. i get to learn from these people on how do they think differently like how would they solve the problem and then i think you you have the push and pull or the yin and yang of mm -hmm. let's exchange ideas and then you narrow down on something that might be uh you know a combined effect might be much better than the siloed effect right um and i also know that you're very keen on uh, scaling so do you have any principles, mental models around scaling that uh, you, you often bring to these conversations? Uh, I don't think I could, I could sort of outline one. I think there's many. Mm. Uh, so it almost sort of applies to scenarios differently, right? Mm. But, you know, like any, like any investor or startup founder would tell you, first prove out the concept, like, you know, make sure that there's value exchange, make sure that you're creating value for your customers. And, and then I think it's a matter of putting fuel on fire, right? But, but you've got to light that fire first. Correct. Right. So, uh, you know, uh, one thing that you must have encountered when you, you know, got into the scaling kind of uh, mindset is trying to institutionalize things like practices, cultures, uh, you know, those kinds of things. So, uh, any observations on how you've seen that uh, unfold? So, let, let me give you one, uh, maybe prompt to think about uh, when when you yourself or when, when Microsoft was going from this old almost old style uh, on-premise legacy kind of software to making that shift to the world of SaaS and subscriptions and so on. Uh, what changed uh, in the way you were trying to uh, unlearn certain practices and institutionalize a bunch of new practices? 
a lot of it was basically seeing the trend that the world is moving towards and latching on to it right mm-hmm. i mean today and, and if i draw a parallel uh today people don't want cars they want to use uber like why, why buy a car why spend the capex right mm-hmm. and and a similar mindset sort of applies in the cloud services world right where where we are looking at it from the perspective of saying like people don't want to manage their it they want to be doing what's core for their business right uh, a transportation and a logistics company wants to focus on business logic for transportation mm-hmm. and logistics correct uh, conversely a soda manufacturing company wants to get good at manufacturing soda and creating new products they don't want to worry about their it infrastructure mm-hmm. and so i think we look at it and say okay great let us do it for you mm-hmm. and and so that's kind of the the pattern matching and and tech keeping up with where the world mm-hmm. is going Mm-hmm. and 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 you'll see like a lot of these business models for new consumer companies even right mm-hmm. uh, they are evolving with the audience set in mind and it's even different from a geography perspective mm-hmm. uh, you know india was always always heavy on the it was an e-commerce mm-hmm. but i call it phone commerce right where mm-hmm. you would call up the local store and you would give the guy a list mm-hmm. and he would send someone home and you got your groceries mm-hmm. the west is just coming to adapt that model mm-hmm. right where you know where we are starting to do this on an app or a phone and you know there's instacart who's who's got an insane valuation is doing that okay. uh, they've got a shopper that gets dedicated to you and you know he or she will pick your list and deliver it home mm-hmm. conversely we are getting exposed in india to the mall culture right okay. where you're you're going inside you're spending time you're seeing those things we always had that but we are inspired by the west when it comes to that mm-hmm. uh, and so there's these different business model right like contactless payments is the other one where you know people don't want to carry around cash and fat wallets i mean india for the most part has skipped credit cards and got straight to paytm right. and the west is still catching up to that so to to i think cut it short i think it's a lot to do with what trends are you seeing in people's natural behaviors and how do you fit your product or your culture to sort of match to that right in fact this phone commerce i think has been the backbone of uh, in, you know india's economy for the last year or so given you know all all that had happened around us uh, it was fascinating to see that come uh, to play i'm sure a lot of people have uh, you know the yeah. average everyone from yeah. the average kirana guy to the, you know, the all the startups like dunzos to thanks yeah. for uh, you know to stay afloat um, so uh, do you uh, see this kind of cross pollination across uh, cultures Uh, as a you know source of strength for people like you, you know who, who kind of grew up in one culture now you find yourself immersed in another uh, are there these uh, are there all strengths that just this pull together to be much larger than the the sum of the parts you know i i, I don't know if that provides a, a differentiated capability but mm-hmm. i think it definitely provides a different outlook right mm-hmm. uh, you know you've grown up in a in a country that's fast evolving Mm. and you've come to a country that that you know to a certain extent has infrastructure settled mm. uh but then you're you're looking at the best of both worlds and trying to compare patterns contrast patterns mm. i mean when when ride sharing comes up uh i always chuckle because you know we've had ride sharing for a long time like mm. i i went to college on my friends uh, you know scooty or scooter mm. and you know that was just a part okay, of life know. right mm. uh when starbucks introduces a uh, uh you know they call the turmeric latte i was like right. my grandma used to give it to me when i was 4 years old right <laughs> and now and now i'm wanting to pay like 4 to 6 bucks for it like that, that's insane but but i think you know there's there's definitely uh you know goodness in terms of recognition understanding uh and just kind of uh if i use the word if it's not overused but but empathizing with different cultures and backgrounds and what they bring to the table 
right so you know in the last uh, five or 10 years there been a lot of um, indian origin leaders right making it right up to the top uh, you know, currently microsoft is headed by one of them and there, this is no longer a surprise it's taken uh, pretty much for granted in many countries but is there uh, you know something different in the kind of makeup of these uh, leaders just does it just happen to be a coincidence uh, you know i've read books on that uh, topic that say that there is uh, there is something more to this phenomenon so uh, what are your thoughts on that yeah i mean i don't know right i, I mean i think to to sort of compare and contrast like every leader has their strengths right mm. and and i think you know uh, you know satya or sundar or uh, you know pick your favorite indian leader they they all have their strengths and and conversely like you know bill who had was at the helm of microsoft had his strengths and and i don't i i personally don't know if if i am qualified enough to sort of say uh, yeah. you know with conviction that yeah, i think that there's a definite pattern here or not but i do think that you know each of them uh, incredibly humble incredibly hungry for learning incredibly smart like i i just feel that there's just just a different amount of like intellect and horsepower and empathy and you know recognition of the world and and i think broader thinking uh, mm-hmm. i i don't i don't think that it is got to do anything with origin maybe there is research that proves otherwise but from my perspective i think it's just the individual themselves who who's just stellar correct and uh, i think they also have the advantage of being in a deeply sort of to use the word meritocratic or performance uh, oriented kind of culture right uh, uh, is that something that you had you you felt very comfortable uh, being part of or did you have to kind of uh, say wow this this space of uh, progress change what is expected of me is something that uh, i need to get uh, used to honestly i don't think i thought about it that deeply to be honest i think i think it's a little bit of like when you're sent in the bat at over 7 to 10 you're right. facing a situation where and you're batting accordingly right? right uh if the going gets tough you you take a single you get off strike right and and you try to keep your wicket right and and if it's if it's a flat wicket and if it's not turning and it's not swinging then you make hey day so i i think that sort of and again i i try to draw that parallel from sport because that is that is actually how how business and careers are generally mm-hmm. uh, you know you excel at different points of time in your career you you slow down at different points of time in your career mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong or right and no two batsmen are the same no two bowlers are the same and mm-hmm. sometimes you nick one and you walk and you come back on to do a next inning but but i think that's how it goes and and i i probably have just reacted to the situation more than mm-hmm. uh, you know being proactive and of course like everybody has their set of mentors and you know everybody has guiding principles and and those have in general served me well but i don't think i planned it as much as uh, as i think i like to believe and in fact i think the people who are entering the workforce today the the recent graduates they i think are a lot more planful they're a lot more deliberate they are a lot more clearer in what they want to do mm-hmm. um I, i just want to go into a little bit of how you keep yourself abreast of things right what what is your approach to learning uh, as an individual so let me start with the future trends thing because we spoke briefly about it uh you have a very deliberate approach to keep you know uh, to understanding how things are moving forward do you, uh, you know how do you kind of keep that future radar going do you, uh, is it primarily through reading or do you subscribe to certain things or is it participating in a lot of conversations how do you know what's coming around the corner yeah i mean i mean thankfully working in tech kind of exposes you to to all of that Correct. uh you know i all all the all the big 
all the big tech companies enterprise companies are my customers so are so are new generation startups mm-hmm. and so i think i i feel lucky enough to be at a spot where these things are naturally coming okay. and and i'm meeting people i'm getting exposed to them i'm talking to my customers i'm i'm uh, you know i'm i'm surrounded by great engineers and product people mm-hmm. and and so i think naturally i get a lot of it through work uh you know as far as subscribing to something specific i mean i don't think that there's one like i mean you know there's there's multiple like i read the geek wire in in seattle you know there's there's of course the wsj uh from a what gives me energy is really talking to a lot of people who are mm. who are doing you know deep thinking right uh again these are colleagues these are customers uh i wouldn't say that there's a particular technical thing that i read Uh, i try to read a lot although it's gone down quite a bit but uh, i think future trend wise uh, looking at mostly behavioral patterns is is been interesting to me mm-hmm. uh, you know how people are behaving where is where is money being spent mm-hmm. uh, how do you follow the dollar sort of in an economy right. uh, you know what what are kind of tech advances and research that's happening that is going to transform the world i think 5g is one such thing Correct. you know hardware getting cheaper is another trend mm-hmm. you know uh, people people uh, having one too many devices in other sort of pattern uh in this potentially like you know smart edge as people talk about you know that's another one uh, distributed computing of course as you have to say there's machine learning there's robotics there's ai i mean there's there's so much trending estimates being made mm-hmm. but i think the the way i try to rationalize it in my head is what's that one killer scenario that brings all of these things to, together mm-hmm. and and if you can sort of weave that golden thread then you can see which ones are here to stay and which ones are not and there and there's some areas that that just seem like there's a lot more studying to be done if i if i were to talk about it intelligently like i think crypto is one of them like okay. a lot of people a lot of people do some deep thinking on crypto and unfortunately i fall behind mm-hmm. so would that make you very uncomfortable and would you say i need to kind of uh, get into a course or, you know kind of start following certain kinds of people what would you do in such a case uh you know honestly i think it's a little bit of like i also know that i can't consume it all correct uh but you know i have people who work in the fintech sector mm. uh as friends colleagues and and you know i think whenever i get a chance socially like i'm i i'd love to pick their brain on like hey what so what do you think like correct. and and i think when you talk to someone you actually don't just get the raw data but you also get a lot more insight and analysis mm-hmm. on what are they thinking like what are the questions that are bothering them and i think that to me is more powerful than than any like you know paper that i've read mm-hmm. is because i'm also having an active dialogue where well it's is essentially a q and a session right mm-hmm. I, i think that's that's one of the reasons why you folks might be doing a a smart cast because that's you're right. you're getting unfiltered what's going on and how are you thinking about it versus somebody writing an article and saying hey go read this Uh, so i do i do enjoy the interactivity and i think if i if there's one topic that i that i feel that i i need to go read up more or understand more then then i'll go have that conversation right so in a lot of the threads that we spoke about today i think we've spoken about the role of other people uh, they could be mentors they could be startup folks that you're advising um, so uh, did creating a network or you not know, so called networking personal branding those kinds of things come naturally to you or was it just something that uh, you know you just built along the way were you very deliberate about it uh, any thoughts on that yeah i mean i i think i'm a i'm an extrovert by nature mm-hmm. i think uh, i'm very comfortable you know hanging out alone and i'm equally comfortable being in a crowd like full of like 1000 2000 people 
and so some of it just comes naturally you know you you strike up a conversation and and i'm always interested in like hearing from people as to what they are doing what they are thinking like how is their life different from mine and 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 again this gives me a lot of energy i would say mm-hmm. i'm i'm not one who's quiet i'm 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 seeking i'm talking and so i don't think i ever like the term networking to be honest i never enjoyed the term it, it really? felt very made up to me uh, and i mean i i i sort of explain it to people in in a way saying look if it interests you do it and mm-hmm. do it because your heart is in it don't do it because you want an outcome right okay. and uh, i've i've been lucky enough to maintain relationships that i have from school from college and you know rely on my peers my you know my close friends uh, people i've worked with 10 15 20 years ago like i mean i i still keep in touch occasionally you know it's not that frequent but but i think we've maintained those relationships even if it's a simple little hi or hello mm-hmm. and uh, you know i mean you don't do it because you want something out of it you okay. do it because you you have a you have a connection with the person and you just enjoy hearing from them on perspectives and and what not correct right uh, that makes sense uh, i also want to ask you about things like reading are you a reader or are you you know do you consume your information in other from other sources i mean i i wasn't a voracious reader i would say but i but i do enjoy you know reading i mean i'm i'm sort of somewhere in between mm-hmm. if i get time i'd love to pick up a book and read but but my reading is limited to mostly biographies or you know exper- exper- uh, experiential books or you know memoirs or you know something to do with business models mm. uh sports is from the huge component of what i read about uh but i i don't enjoy fiction i don't enjoy the moonshot kind of things mm. uh and the reason i think i enjoy biographies is because uh 200 pages gives me an insight into someone's like 50 60 year life mm. and and that to me is like the best roi i can ever get mm. <laughs> by reading something and uh and so i i just enjoy biographies because they're light they're easy reads there there's nuggets of information in there and and that's what i naturally gravitate towards correct uh, any favorite uh, you know biographies that you can think of at the top of your head uh i think my favorite is andrea agassi's open ah yes that is that is definitely you know right up there on that list and uh if i were to book, pick one book and say which one should people read from a sport perspective it is that i mean i i would have loved to pick a cricketing one but but i actually think andrea agassi's one is is right up there and the other one that i i really enjoy i sometimes keep going back to is john wright's biography called indian summers right uh that's the other one that is that is a lot to do about like you know player versus coach mentality and and there's a lot of parallels to be drawn So uh, you know since we are st- sticking just staying with sports a little bit more uh, how have you seen teamwork itself change over the years because uh, i'm sure when you started there was a certain kind of culture of teamwork or how you know managers were seen uh, and there's been a greater degree of because of digitization because of a certain uh, shift in say new generations coming in uh, how has teamwork itself changed over the yeah you know i i think it's an interesting pivot uh i actually think that i mean definitely it's got a lot more collaborative mm-hmm. there's a lot more like you know access to technology access to information that has opened up a lot of shared understanding right mm-hmm. i mean initially i i think back in the day there used to be that one engineer that everybody went to and mm-hmm. everything was in his or her head right now i think the information is available everywhere so i think everybody has starts on a common shared understanding now yes there is experience and experience mm-hmm. is still going to have its own value uh but a lot of it is start to 
starting to democratize, mm-hmm. uh, if I use that term. And, and that has also given people fresh new perspective. Uh, you know, people are bolder, they speak up a lot more, and rightly so, they should. There's nothing wrong in that. In fact, it's, it's like the, the differences kind of lead to a better, better product. And that's why I think diversity and, and inclusion as a concept is, is huge and it's important and, and has its own bearing in society. The more perspectives you get, the better you look at, a, you look at something from multiple angles and that just inherently by itself makes it better. Uh, I mean, I think outside of that, uh, there's a lot more, I would say, uh, empathy. There's a lot more understanding of different perspectives and, and why that perspective can be different, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not only designing for 80% of the market. You're trying to go all the way and you're saying, look, I want to design it for everybody. Mm-hmm. It can't be that I'm designing it for the power user. I'm also designing it for the person who's going to use the product mm-hmm. uh, at a bare minimum experience level and it should work both ways. So, so I think there's definitely that element on on change of how teams have evolved. All right. So, Asim, uh, we are coming to the end of our conversation. So, I want to do two final sections before we close. Uh, the first section uh, is uh, kind of getting your hot takes on uh, the future relevance of certain areas. So, I'm I'm going to give you a topic. Just tell me what you think is going to be uh, the future relevance of that and. Uh, should you, you know, want to pass, you can do that. So let's start okay. with easy one. Uh, w- w- the future relevance of cricket. Huge. I mean, global, like uh, short, but uh, evolving. And I would say high growth. <laughs> I would like <laughs> to say high growth. <laughs> okay, from cricket, let's go to another C, the cloud. I, I want to use the word enabler because I think it starts to become an, an enabling ground for for a lot of innovation that then starts to happen on top of it, right? Uh, I think there's going to be a point where the the value that the crowd is going to offer is going to become assumed value, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. going to assume that this just works, mm-hmm. and and this is the way the new world is going to be built. So 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 incredible amount of potential, and I think we're just scratching the surface today. All right. Um, let's uh, ask you the, the future relevance of a country like India. Filled with opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think ripe for explosive growth is what I would say. Uh, and I think uh, tremendous amount of talent that's getting exposed to the world in meaningful ways. And, and frankly, I think just a hotbed of innovation. Okay, that's good to hear. Uh, let's ask you the future relevance of Silicon Valley. Mm, I would say steady state to a certain mm-hmm. extent because I think Silicon Valley has, has proven out a great model mm-hmm. that I think everyone's latching onto. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Silicon Valley will, will always have a special place in, in people's hearts from a technology mm-hmm. standpoint. But but I think worldwide, like whether you pick you know, a country like Israel or whether you pick, you know, something like Hyderabad or Bangalore or you pick, you know, places like Austin in the United mm-hmm. States, I think they're going to start to give that a run for its money in, and not not in a bad way, like, but, mm-hmm. but there's going to be healthy competition in people wanting to replicate that model as well. Okay. With so much changing, what are the one or two things that you think will remain timeless? So even if we dial forward 10 years, uh, there are certain things that you can take for granted as a business, as an entrepreneur. Any, anything comes to mind? I think tenacity and grit is is definitely something that will be timeless, right? Like people are going to push boundaries, mm. and and that's actually for the for the better of of everybody. 
I don't think that you can replace tech and tech mm. will always evolve, mm. but I don't think you can, you can replace that, that wanting to break barriers, wanting to push envelopes, you know, not taking no for an answer. Mm. I, I think those things from a humanity standpoint and, and what humans will, will do with tech is going to sort of be, be timeless. Okay. So you're fundamentally an optimist about technology and uh, humans. Yeah. I mean, I think technology is a tool. Technology is a platform, right? But but at the end of the day, uh, you want to be able to 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 innovate with that for the betterment of humankind. And I think as long as that goal is is sort of unwavering in in an entrepreneur's mind, uh, you're just going to make better use of tools, and you're going to keep making better tools. Okay. Uh, so with that, Asim, let's go to our last section. A few quick uh, takes on your personal habits and productivity uh, practices. So the first thing that you do when your workday begins is? I can't function without coffee. <laughs> okay. Uh, how do you structure your calendar? Is it uh, full of blocks, pre-planned, or is there a lot of flexibility to it? Uh, every week is different. Uh, you know, I think it's a combination of meetings and work time. Uh, and you know, as much as I like to, I try to build in, build in at least a mini break, uh, within the day. It's, it's just something that, you know, even if it's like a 10 minute break that, you know, I can step out and, and especially in this new world where you, know, you can go out, you know, just breathe a little bit, come back, maybe get another cup of coffee, drive to a small closed location, take a 15 minute break. I, I think that, that just helps me. Okay. One thing you insist in your meetings to make them, make them very successful. Uh, Less production value, more authenticity, mm -hmm. okay. more more conversations, more brainstorming. You know, not not completely finished product all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this is the the whole philosophy of like let's iterate versus wait for something perfect. Okay, uh, one habit that uh, you picked up in the last one and a half years it could be because of the environment around you or just something that naturally happened to you. In the in the last year, you would say. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a habit, but I was never a, you know, go for a walk kind of guy, <laughs> but I think, you know, the, the lack of like, you know, gym time or, you know, play time or sport time has, has forced me to sort of take, take walks occasionally. Mm. Uh, it's, it's also probably because I'm getting old, but, uh, you know, I think <laughs> I, I try to do that as much as I can. I try to socially distant walk with my with my friends, colleagues, if I can, and and so I think that's one that that I I wouldn't say it's a habit, but I think it's a it's an occasional habit. Okay, um, one thing that you try to keep in mind when you consume news, or which could be PR, which could be fake. One thing that you do when you consume news. Mm, I I try to sift through what is data versus what is opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, I think in the world of today, it's it's important to sort of understand what what is the actual data versus when somebody is overlaying an opinion which is trying to sway you one way or the other uh, and so i try to get to the bottom of like hey what is the actual thing that is being reported here versus you know people trying to sway me one way or the other okay uh, one thing uh, this is the final question one thing that you want to add to your repertoire in the last next decade Ooh. uh I think spotting growth areas, hmm. uh, you know, empowering entrepreneurs and, and having at least worked with, you know, a couple of them who've been able to transition an entire industry or, you know, deliver huge value 
for for changing the way people use technology or people interact with product. I think that's something that I would like to go at. Uh, I don't know when, what, how, but but it's just an aspiration to say, great, you've done all of these things. You've sort of been an operator. Like, how do you now take something in? And I think I've been lucky enough to sort of do that with cloud, right? Because when I started with the Azure team, like I said, we were small, but we're our PNL is like sort of in the billions, but uh, maybe one more shot at doing something like that. Okay. So I see we started this conversation talking about your lucky break as an intern and we've come full circle to talking about luck, but I think you've made your luck uh, more than anything else. So thank you so much for being part of this CTQ Smartcast. It was lovely talking to you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's, it's exciting and, you know, I, uh, I, I definitely, you know, enjoyed all the, all the rapid fires as well. It was, it was a first. All right. Thank you so much, Asim.